Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Jay caught me in mid gulp. Way to go, Jay. Uh, we are the Pop Bonsai. We are the Pop Bonsai Podcast, and we are uh, a curating podcast. Uh, some have said, some have dared to say. Others say that we're a pop culture podcast. Jay, I don't even know what we are, and that's kind of what I love about it. But I do know I what know. we do. Every couple of weeks, we come on. And we take a theme, an idea, or sometimes just a really cool title, and we try to cobble together pieces of pop culture, whether they be films or books or poems or albums or uh, puppet shows. I don't know. The, the world is our oyster. And we string them together, and we try to find commonalities and themes or styles, or sometimes just they have the same actor or the same uh, producer. And, and we're looking at aesthetics there. The sky is the limit, Jay, and the sky is the limit today, as our set, as we call them, is called Violent Passions. Ooh. Ooh. Mm, violent passions. Ah, oh, man, I like that. It might sound sexier than it is. I don't know. Um, and for our violent passion set today, we are looking at the 1986 film Something Wild. This is a Jonathan Demme film. Uh, and then we are also going to look at the 1996 Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album Murder Ballads. So. There's a lot more to be said about those and a lot more contributors to those two projects that we're going to talk about as we jump into them. But let's start off talking about violence, Jay. Let's do. Let's talk about violence. Something, something I'm, I'm so prone to constantly. Yeah, what's the exploited song? The exploited do that song, right? That sex and violence. Have you heard that song? Is that exploited? <laughs> yeah. I want to say maybe it's exploited. Oh, that's, that punk song. That's my... That's my theme. I used to, I'm going to admit something right now, is when I first got my car at 16, my favorite part about having a car was not the car, it was the ability to pump my music out of my car to show everyone how cool and uh, how different I was from all the other people arriving in our school parking lot. So I, <laughs> I didn't care about if the car ran very well or spending money on oil, but I got like some good speakers for the car. I don't care if it was raining. My car windows are always down. And as I approached the school, I was always like, all right, what is the track that I'm going to pull into the school parking lot with? Right, and it can't be it can't be anything that had c come out in the last year, right? It's got to be something where people are like, "Holy smokes, that's a weird song," or "That's interesting song." And I remember a couple of times, uh, you know, sophomore year, Travis Ratz was pulling up to school with sex and violence, <laughs> sex and violence, sex and violence, sex and violence. Uh, and I remember being I'm like, it's, it's like seven in the morning. <laughs> I'm rolling up with sex and violence. Like, that's who I oh, am, yeah. guys. Deal with it. Dude, the, the music mood knows no bounds when you're like 16. You know, yeah. if you really wanted to be different, you'd be you come in blasting like uh, like Beethoven. Yeah. You know, or like or like some some uh, some Baroque Baroque era yeah. music. <laughs> Yo, that's Baroque, bro. Um. But it, I, I also ironic because I was not having sex or uh, being violent um, uh, in high school. Uh, so what was – have you ever gotten in a fight? Um, you know, oddly enough, no. No, I haven't. Um, I, I've been close. 
And there's been times when, you know, fists were waved and, and, but, you know, as, as weird as it sounds, I've always either a been able to talk my way out of it or B it just kind of fizzles out. And, and cause I, I'm, I don't know, I've always been kind of big for my age. So it's never really, it doesn't ha- it hasn't come up very often. Like it's never really been a situation, you know, I'm, I'm six, two and I've weighed. Like, Holy shit. You know, you're six, two. All right. I'm, gonna yeah. pull back the, I'm about to pull back the curtain here real quick, guys. So Jay and I have never <laughs> met in person, like in real life, only like, well, only yeah. like digital, digital pals. And I, like, I would never have guessed you were six, two. I would never really? have guessed you were six, two. <laughs> I would have yeah. been like, and also like I, the only time I've seen, you know, like pictures of you on, on like your social media accounts, you don't usually post pictures of you. It's like yeah. things you like. So it's not like yeah. I've seen you next to like Steve Nash and I'm like, well, Steve Nash is this tall. And that means that Jay <laughs> Castro must be this tall. Right. Uh, I would have, I thought you were, I thought you were a little uh, shrimpy guy like me, like five, nine. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm I'm kind of a. Oh, I want to fight you now, Jay. I want to fight you right now yeah, because I feel like you. You've, I feel like you. This has all been a lie. I feel like you've been presenting yourself to someone. And here's oh, this is why it makes you so angry. I feel like a lot of we have very similar tastes, and I feel like a lot of my taste have been developed around insecurities in youth, and a lot of insecurities for being like the smallish the shrimpiest kid in class. And I'm like, well, Jay's probably the, the same way. And now I find out you're this tall gazelle who's just had life <laughs> handed to him on a silver platter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you something right now. Being overweight, the same insecurities. So that, <laughs> oh, you that's have, the angle I'm coming from. You throw on a black t-shirt, you're fine. <laughs> well, a very slim fitting black t-shirt this is why you like listen to rockabilly <laughs> is because you can wear the black shirts the black leather kid yeah so many slimming slimming colors so you never you've uh never gotten to fight you got close to a fight but i also imagine that um being taller though i mean you're not super six foot's like you know a little more than average but i feel like tall guys do tend to be targets of fights more taller guys yeah no really for me mm. so how about you what have you no not like um fights with friends i've been punched several times uh a couple times in the face a couple times in the stomach um usually like because if you get punched like you take like two or three punches and you don't fight back uh and there's anyone watching then that usually the fight will end there because they're like you know, like it's a lot. I think I've heard this like fucking p- fight back, motherfucker. And I'm like, man, I don't gonna fight you. Like I'm just like I could take three hits and then this fight's going to get broken up or I can start fighting and people are like, let them fight. <laughs> you know, I'm like, and then I'm going to get really fucked up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so some of my close friends, we've gotten into brawls uh, a little bit like over stupid stuff like, you know, um, like james bond golden eye um uh, and shit like that i've been hiding the bathroom the whole time dude <laughs> you can't be odd job every time it's a cheat can't be up in the in the vents yeah you're hanging out where i respawn asshole um but yeah yeah not not really in my in my nature uh but like 
I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I want to get in a fight. Sometimes I feel like I want to get in a fight. See, I've never... uh, I don't think I've ever felt like I need to. I I feel, to be honest with you, I feel kind of jealous of people that fight sometimes. Like I was listening to uh, Henry Rollins talk about brawling back in like the Black Flag days. And he'd say like, you know, he'd have a crummy week and he just would go to shows just looking for it and and he'd find a suitable mate to to fight and and they would fight <laughs> and they he, would fight and did he call it a suitable mate is that what yeah, he said yeah. <laughs> i he, love he, it he'd pick a, a dude that was like like that he felt he could that could take his aggression and vice versa and so they'd fight and then afterwards they'd like you know he'd be like you know what man thank you for that you know and, and i'm like gosh i've never felt that yeah. I've never felt that physical release on another human and consequently that human being releasing their whatever on you and having that mutual uh, like moment mm-hmm. together, you know? And I'm like, what the, is this some male thing I'm totally missing here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. See, that's why I just let myself get punched because that's like, that's the Me Too version of I do not offer my consent. <laughs> I I do not offer my consent to this, you know. <laughs> I am not a suitable mate, as Henry Rollins would 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 say. Um, but I mean, I think violence, especially the type of violence we're going to be talking about today in these two pieces, uh, you know, doesn't have to necessarily be limited to fights. Uh, I think it's 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 uh, a way of looking at the world. Uh, it's your thoughts as well. Do you, would you say that that uh, you tend do can you do you dwell in any kind of violent thoughts? Like as far as do they make your way? This is a weird question. This is like a psycho. Lay back, Jay. I'm going to ask you questions. Um, on the couch, please. Um, do you tend to dwell in any violent fantasies? Uh, do those make your way into your dreams? Or when you create, uh, do they make your way into like any kind of, of your creations? Like writing or music or drawing? Um, as far as like thoughts um like would it count if like oftentimes i pretend like i'm playing spy hunter when i'm on the road and like yeah. I, I pretend like i have like forward machine guns or oil slicks coming out the back yeah. to the that guy means you're like, that means you're a fucking psychopath jay i knew it I <laughs> um as far as like like art um i mean i've always um I, I took. I have a, a liking towards like violent movies, horror, horror movies, uh, even violent. Uh, I like. Me, it's like it, it's not necessarily an escape. It just seems like like I'm just look. I'm participating participating in and it's like a third person. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm 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 looking at this and I'm like, oh, this is fun. You know, listening to even like you know. NWA or Ice Cube or like that. I just, Insane I, I, clown posse, Holmes. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I do enjoy that kind of that part of violence. But if I, ha- I've never wanted to be like, I'm going to 
kill that, you know. Yeah. Like when you hear like Eminem be, yeah, when you hear like Eminem be like, mentally ill in Amityville, accidentally kill your family still, thinking he won't, (laughs) goddammit, he will. You're like, goddamn, this is good. Or the whole album of murder ballads, which we're going to talk about in the second half of this podcast. Um, Yeah, I, I find that as a child, all my recreations from, uh, since I could walk to puberty where I was always playing with guns, always wrestling imaginary. It was always killing, killing, killing. Every day I was imagining killing people, not in a violent psychopath way. Like I wasn't like sticking my thumbs in people's eyes and watching the life drain from them in my imagination. But it was guns. It was flipping. It was decapitating people. It was, you know, all bad guys. Listen, Jay, all these people deserve it. Of course, of course. They shouldn't have been hanging out in my room you know, uh, you know, when I was had my plastic swords in my hand. I mean, you're asking for it at that point. You know, I got a whole, I got a whole toy box full. Like it's like an arsenal in there. Um, Dude, they shouldn't have been hanging out with Skeletor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get very. Uh, I I don't get very. Or, or I don't commander. <laughs> I don't get violent, but I get. I think it's a bad parenting choice, and uh, I apologize if, as a parent you made this choice for your children. But if I'm like when. Parents don't allow, especially young boys, to have, like, plastic weapons, uh, like cap guns or swords. I'm like, no, no, you're creating a, you're gonna, you're creating a monster, I feel like. I feel like you're gonna, I feel like uh, you need to let that out. They need to, they need to, they need to, to get that out now, and then you can talk to them about the difference of reality and they it's yeah they need to indulge that somewhere or else they're going to bottle it up and then the neighborhood's cats are going to start disappearing when they hit puberty <laughs> yeah you're going to find all the skulls on the you know under your bed dude yeah. i used to when i was little i used to have a, a water gun that looked exactly like an uzi mm-hmm. you even you even filled the the magazines with water and you stuck them in the the gun and it was black was it the and, same and kind like they used in the movie airheads <laughs> remember the probably, movie airheads they, <laughs> they filled it with like chili pepper and it looked so real yeah yeah i mean if if i would have had that now it's like, it like a teenager dude i'd totally kill, some cop would totally shoot me in the face yeah you know yeah oh for sure yeah yeah um, but I we well, let's use that to transition to our 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 first piece here, which is something wild. Uh, something wild, as I mentioned before, is a 1986 film. It is a Jonathan Demme film. It stars Jeff Daniels as uh, Charles Driggs, Melanie Griffith as Audrey Henkel, um, uh, Ray Liotta as Ray Sinclair, uh, and then um, those are our three leads, and then. Uh, <laughs> a great supporting cast of like pop-up cameo actors, including John Waters and uh, Tracy Walter and all these really, really good background actors and, and day players Mm -hmm. in this, in this film. Um, And so the reason we kind of bring this up is 1986. I mean, you've seen this movie a million times. Um, in different versions, uh, more directly uh, in movies like um, True Romance, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, but it's a Bonnie and Clyde type story. But here we have Jonathan Demme 
I think, well, let's let's put it on the table. I think what's notable about this film is the tone shift it takes uh, in the second act. Uh, mm-hmm. When Ray Liotta's character appeal uh, appears, and it is not no longer a romantic comedy as it is a drama, um, uh, and I guess maybe even calling a romantic comedy the beginning is is it could be a stretch for some, but uh, there is a dramatic shift, and so I'm choosing those two genres to show the kind of polar. The, the opposites of it. So there is this shift sure. from something that is a little bit more lighthearted, fish out of water, manic pixie dream girl type story to a much more um, psychological uh, kind of dark humor, violent movie. Um, yeah. Where violence, I guess, is not, I'm not saying that the movie itself is violent, but that violence is the uh, major driving force from the appearance of Ray Liotta on it's this looming threat throughout the entire movie that was not there in any shape or form before his character shows up. Right. And I would say that even if you don't know, if, if your first, and I think that was this, this was your first time seeing mm-hmm. this movie, right? And I thought I'd seen it before. Cause I had seen the cover and I'm like, I, I have to have seen that. <laughs> But you, you watch this movie, and even when it's in its romanticity phase, it's still uneasy. Like, you still kind of have that feeling of, of uneasiness. Like, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, did you feel like that when you... I um, mean, like... Well, no. I guess not that I was aware of. You know, again, I, I did only watch it once, and it's my first time viewing it. Um, at the beginning, I was... I, because I, from what I know of you, and this was your uh, suggestion, you said, let's watch this, but you hadn't watched it in a long time. You're like, I'm not quite sure, but I remember there's some good stuff in there, and, you know, like, I, Ray Liotta's in there, a young Ray Liotta, it's like his first role, uh, other than soap first operas, role, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, cool, 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 uh, and so I, 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 I guess part of me was was trying to beat the system and be like, okay, there's something else here because the beginning, uh, it it felt like like uh, you know uh, I'm the opposite of you and you're the opposite of me and together we're going to compromise and it's you're going to show me about your world and I'm going to show I can show you the world you know uh, <laughs> that that kind of of uh, of a film. Um, and there were a couple of moments that clued me into because it's a slow burn in that first act. You're like, where yeah. where is this going? Get to get to the point. Uh, but there are uh, a couple of moments and a couple of pairs of y- yabos that I'm like, oh, this is different <laughs> than what you might think of as an early '90s romantic comedy. Um, the fact that we're under the uh, assumption that he's this married person uh, with kids. Um, in the first act when he's, you know, driving off with uh, Melanie Griffith's character. Um, and then uh, a, a kind of strange phone call he makes, um, the, uh, the disregard for any kind of social order when it comes to stealing things, not from bad guys, but from, uh, from innocent people and, and things like that. Um, but at the same time, in that first act, there are some really kind of like 
comical like slapsticky moments like when they're ditching out of the bill at the restaurant and like the big chef comes out and he's like please pay your bill sir and he's like oh i'm gonna what's wrong dad he's having a shortage of funds son and i'm like this <laughs> you know so i was like i don't know where this is going um in that first act but you you said you you felt the ominousness even in that first act oh yeah dude i mean even like you know when she, the very beginning she you know more or less kind of uh accosts him and takes him to this hotel room where you know she kind of has her way with him and, and and the whole thing the whole time i'm thinking and it, it's more or less against his will you know i mean he's kind of like oh no don't stop no you know uh, yeah. and you're just like where is she, why is she doing this yeah. what is going on because you have the sense that he, well not i mean you're supposed to but he doesn't have any control of anything, and she is in total control of him. Um, he kind of sees her as like this flighty, quirky, you know, but she's in person, but she's not. She knows exactly what she's doing and exactly what she wants out of him. And he has, he's totally clueless. And I, you know, I just can't help but feel this uneasiness going, like, where is she taking this poor schmuck? Mm-hmm. You know? what is she going to make him do? <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, there's certainly a mystery there, uh, uh, in the sense of why is she doing this? Is it just to a general rebellion? At, at first I thought it was like, she was honey potting him, uh, like uh-huh. where it was, she's working for someone else and that's their grift is that they get these business guys to get to a hotel. And then, you know, especially when the handcuffs came, come out, came out i was immediately i was already in my head i'm like jay and i are gonna have to have a conversation about why do male characters in movies allow themselves to be handcuffed by strange women for sex i go have you not seen a movie before and so when that did not come to uh fruition the way it usually does in movies where he wakes up and she's like "Eh, sorry about this like wait you leave me the key um you know um I, i thought that was interesting that that was interesting uh and i wonder if that had even been such a big trope at that point that that demi or uh who wrote this uh oh uh max fry um was playing with that idea of hey you think it's this but it's actually not this that's very well could be the possibility Mm -hmm. sure um and the where she takes him um so she ends up taking him to Pennsylvania. Basically, she, <laughs> she plucks him out of the out of the. the or is diner. it Virginia? Is it Virginia or Pennsylvania? They go. It's Pennsylvania. Okay. And she takes him to a hotel room, and then to her mother's house, and where she meets his. He meets her mother, and plays along like they're a married couple because she asks him to, and. From there, they go to uh, her high school reunion where she meets up with her former ex-husband. Well, no, her her husband, who she just decided she doesn't want to be with anymore, uh, Ray Liotta. And that's that's when it, it hits the fan, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Did I no, no, it, it's no, you're, you're it's great. I think. Um, 
when the movie ended, I said, okay, it was good, but I, I enjoyed my my time with it. I'm not a huge Jeff Daniels fan or a huge Melanie Griffin fan. They're not actors that I've seen them in several things. You know, like I'm a I'm a baby of the '80s and a child of the '90s, so of course I've seen uh, them in stuff. Um, I never saw Working Girl though, so I might have missed some of her <laughs> best stuff. Um, however. Uh, I like Jeff Daniels in this more than I have. I'm not like a huge dumb and like I know a lot of people of our generation are huge dumb and dumber heads. I'm I'm okay with it, but like I'm not. It doesn't. It's not in my top ten comedies of all time, and and not even my favorite Jim Carrey comedies. Um, and some of the other stuff that I've seen, I liked him in Newsroom. I thought that was a, a good latter day role for him. Um, but you know, this is during his everyman phase. You know, he's kind of like. Uh, in there with with Tom Hanks at this time, what Tom Hanks was doing in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but he has kind of more of almost like a Kmart vibe of that, where you're like, I think they're, <laughs> even though he's not as charming as Tom Hanks, I think he has more versati- versatility in his understanding of subtext than Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's handicapped by this completely middle-class white boy look that I think maybe limited him in the roles that he could have gotten in his peak if he wasn't so completely average-looking uh, <laughs> as uh, as an actor. I mean, there is nothing interesting about his look whatsoever. There's nothing that, you know, there's no... Even when they try to make him... They put him in that electric blue suit, right, to show that he's lightening up and that he's taking risk. Like the way she takes risks fashion wise, you know, she's gone more conservative with her look. And he's like, again, they're meeting in the middle and he's changed his dark blue suit into this electric light blue suit. Uh, and even then you're like, you're still just like it doesn't there's it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't show aesthetically that you really made that that you're making that change but i like what he's doing in this um it's a it's a tough role to play with that tone shift going on um and so i i have a new respect for jeff daniels after this and i have a respect for this movie because the tone shift is so dramatic there are movies that do this not as many and i think it's nice that a piece of art a story doesn't have to fall into one genre the whole time and in order to work you know yeah i think you have to be careful i think having a dramatic tone shift tarantino does this quite a bit in his movies too a dramatic uh, tone shift um, but he's so stylized the style is in place so it doesn't feel like as dramatic maybe um, yeah. but uh, th- I think what for me let's take, let's take a step back for me let's talk about the uh, I know we're kind of jumping around but the opening credits of this movie suggest a tone that the third half doesn't it's this world music is like you know like it's it was the late 1980s everyone was obsessed with world music uh fashion had taken on uh elements of you know africana and uh bright colors and all that was being mixed in there people were wearing uh accessories you know she has all these bracelets and all these things you know from uh different cultures uh and even the credits the fonts were like that i'm like wait are we going to like is are they going to jamaica in this movie (laughs) 
is Matthew Perry going to show up and like date a Latin girl in this picture? I don't understand what's going on. And then I was That's like, all David Byrne. That's and all then, David Byrne. Yeah. And then David Byrne's music's playing. And I'm like, this is like just a straight up 90s rom-com. <laughs> and then it shifts. And I'm like, wow, what a kind of a fun way to kind of to sneak in this whole other movie under the, the guise of this thing. And I thought that was really clever, too. Yeah, I I agree. It it totally I mean, it's like it's going uphill and it's going uphill kind of slow at sometimes, but when you when you hit the summit and you're going down the other side, it's like white knuckle 100 mile an hour ride down that friggin' hill. Yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, um, that's that's due a lot to Ray Liotta's performance in this oh, movie. Oh, dude. Uh so yeah, yeah. I I can't i i can't imagine anyone else in that role that could have done what he did would have such an impact and such an explosive impact i mean the second you see that dude you look at his eyes and you know he's there to fuck shit up mm-hmm. you know he that guy is a sledgehammer he's looking you, he's looking for, for an it. intimate fighting partner a mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is he's, Jeff Daniels was not in. He's a goddamn Henry Rollins on the prowl for a fight mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um total total commanding of the role, that guy. So did you you know who Chris Isaac is? Yeah. The he did a bad bad thing. He, oh yeah. He was up for that role as Ray. Okay, so they had a type. I mean, they had like a look they were going yeah. for someone who was like beautifully cold. Yeah, uh, like a, yeah, yeah. Like but a, there's like no way I, Chris Isaac could have pu- could have pulled off the the layers and the charm and the the other terror that you feel when oh, yeah. when Ray Liotta makes those switches. It is a total loose cannon in every sense of the word, and um. I mean, so okay, so they go into into Audrey, into her her reunion, and they they run into her her ex husband Ray, who uh, was uh, he he was a, a criminal. He was he, I guess he held up a bunch of gas stations, and he was in prison. And while he was in prison, he was married to to, to Melanie Griffith's character Audrey, and then she just stops talking to him. She stops. Uh, corresponding with him and, and just says, she, I don't want to see you anymore. It's over, blah, blah, blah. And doesn't want to elaborate apparently from what, from what Ray's side of it is. And um, here she is though, at this high school reunion where I'm pretty sure if she had uh, a- any sense at all, probably knew that Ray would be there or could find her there. Mm-hmm. And here she is with her fake husband, Jeff Daniels. And so it's like, what, what do you expect to happen? You know, a dude like Ray, what, 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 you know, that's the, th- I, okay. Maybe I shouldn't throw this out quite yet, but I think that Audrey is actually the villain of this story. <laughs> that, she, that she planned that knowing that the whole time she needed a Patsy to bring in, uh, so, yeah. To what point? To what end, though? Like, I think, 
she she knew what she was bringing Jeff Daniels in. She knew the world that that dude was coming in, and you know here was Ray, you know this guy that that she had married that she suddenly just didn't want to see anymore. Understandably, however, okay, think about think about a, a poor Ray's side. Mm-hmm. Dude is obviously not emotionally equipped to handle what's going on, you know, and he reacts how he's going to react. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, well, it's hard. Let, let me, you might be right. I, I think she, she may have had that intention, but there is this scene on the railroad tracks where she gets very, very upset that Ray lied to her about not having a wife and kids. So yeah. I wonder if it's kind of like this vigil anti thing or like this anti-hero um... thing of like, Hey, I, I, I brought, I lured you into this. Because you're a scumbag. You're cheating on your wife. You're leaving your kids. You're abandoning them. So uh, even though I, I I see myself kind of falling for you, I know in my head that you're a bad dude. Like, you're just like the other dudes. You're just a different version of Ray instead of, you know, uh, a leather jacket. You know, you're, you're, you got a Quieter business suit, suit on. But you're still a fucking scumbag. Uh, so it's kind of like, I don't mind using you as bait because you're crap. Because uh, she does get very upset with him that um, she lied to him. She was supposed to be married. You're supposed to have kids. Uh, yeah, um, that's right. And so I wonder if that is because she was sharking for that at that restaurant. It seemed like she had her eye out for the look of a certain type of guy that Jeff Daniels And she noticed his ring, ring on his hand. Yeah. yeah. So she wanted someone. She baited someone in, possibly, that... Um, she knew that if he went along with it, it showed his character and anyone with that character, she doesn't mind sacrificing to her ex-husband Yeah, to make some kind yeah. of point, which I'm not sure what the point would be, but uh, that might be why one of the scenes that I like is that, that scene where you're like, well, don't be a hypocrite. You lied to him too. But then you're like, Oh, why is she being upset? Because now she, now she realized that was a really shitty thing to do. You know, to this this poor guy who's already suffered a lot. You know, yeah, dude. His exactly. friend, his friend at that dance, his business partner is so great. I don't know the actor's name, but he's good. Dude, they play him and his wife play like his the wife most is great, perfect. Yep. <laughs> like hey, hey, Ray. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, just just so like just beaten down by life. There's one point of, where they're driving away, and she's to paraphrase, she goes something like. They're going to get him in the trouble. <laughs> when they pull up next to him, he's like, uh, hey, Ray, do you, you want to go out for some pizza? Or, he's know, like, pizza? <laughs> there is that scene, great scene with Ray, too, uh, where it's this great acting by Ray Liotta, where he's in the car and, you know, um, Audrey's in the gas station. There's a lot of great gas station scenes in there. My my favorite scene is in the gas station with the gas station attendant, and he's changing outfits. We'll get to that one in a moment. But this gas station scene where they, they, they reveal the turn to uh, Charlie is before that Ray's in the car, and he's like, I want to know what, what, uh, what she's like, you know? He's like, well, yeah. she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not like that in bed, you know? Uh, and he's like, we're not going to talk about that. And like, he's like, you know, Charlie, you're right. I'm sorry, Charlie. Like, you know, like that, that, that switch. And then you could see Charlie be like, you know, this guy's not bad. You know, 
uh, apologies can be very powerful. And like, he's so sincere about it. And for a moment, even you are kind of like, I mean, I mean, how he doesn't seem that threatening at that point. You know, he's got an agenda, you know, he's got an ulterior motive. That's for certain, but we don't know how violent and extreme that's going to be until he's in the actual gas station and, you know, knocks that guy out. Oh, dude, just the act, you know, just that part you're talking about when, when he says that, when he says, you know what, Charlie, you're right. There's no, you know, and I'm sorry. It's like you, there's a part where you see Ray Liotta and you can see in his face that he, he doesn't know which switch to turn on, whether he's going to just let it fly yeah. right there, but he's just barely holding it together. Yeah. And he just, and, and then, and then when he, when he musters out that apology, you can tell he kind of switched it off at that, yeah. for now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like he's just like, really looks at him just like, I'm going to rip yeah. your head off right oh, now. Yeah. And then he oh, swallows yeah. it. You see that a couple other times you see it in the, uh, the hotel room when when Charlie's tied up and he's kind of negotiating with him. He goes, Charlie, you see where we're at here. You see our situation here. We can't let you go. You know, and he's like this. And then, you know, uh, Melanie Griffith's character, Audrey, convinces him to let him go. And then Charlie Charlie says, because uh, Ray, Ray is like kind of like, oh, looks like Melanie's on my side. I might be getting my girl back. Uh, you know, we get, well, I'll do it. You know, I'll, get, I'll toss her aside. I'll let her go. And he's like, well, I hope you guys are happy. He goes, get the fuck out of here, Charlie. Yeah. Like he's just like he goes because that he could tell like that that's he's like I'm doing I'm letting you out of here because she seems to be kind of on my side at this point and then you're gonna you're gonna flip that switch with saying shit like that to me and he's like get the fuck like it just changed get the fuck out of here Charlie and yeah. you're just like I'm like go go and he does like he oh, runs yeah. he's booking it <laughs> to his car uh, and you're just like ooh. And then the third time you see it, and this is a great scene, is at the diner when Charlie's character pulls one over on Ray. The cops are in the diner, this kind of ticking time bomb. So Ray is uh, unable to do anything. And then and Charlie's just celebrating it and rubbing it in. And you just see Ray. He's like, you're going to regret this, Charlie. Like, you are going to regret this. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, you don't understand. You are going to regret this. Because there's something funny. There's something funny about Ray too. He's a funny guy, you know. Uh, at, at 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 times, and the way you see him shift with the young girl, and like, oh, or when he sees her at the window, he's like, "Oh, thank God! Come here! Come yeah. in! Come in! Come in!" You know. Uh, it's just Ray Liotta. Just it might be. I I think he's better in this than he is in the in in Goodfellas. Honestly, I think you know it's, he's not as yeah. he's not as prominent of a role, but as far as I, I mean, yeah, I watch him in this movie. I'm like, there's nothing that guy can't do. And he was offered Batman after this movie. Was or, he? Yeah, really? he was offered. Yeah, Tim, he was Tim Burton's original choice for Batman. He turned it down out. He turned it down flat. Oh my gosh! Because Tim Burton's um, like, that's the guy I want. I want Batman to be scary. I want him to be unhinged. Wow. I mean, you see that with Keaton in the direction of Keaton, where he's like, you're nuts. Yeah. He goes, yeah, ah, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And I, I think that. You know, Keaton sells being crazy in a few lines, kind of. Uh, but Ray Liotta have just sold it just through his oh, his look. I think he would have been a great Batman in '89, man. That would have been amazing. <laughs> it would have been a much different movie. Yeah. But you know, the other part I thought was really interesting is is uh, back at the hotel room when when he had 
Charlie and, and Audrey in, pent up in there is when the neighbors started knocking on the on the door on the wall I'm like hey be quiet and he just went unhinged yeah. and started beating on the wall started kicking the wall in and then he does you know and then they do it again he does it even worse yeah yeah and it's yeah. like okay that dude's you know it's out it's yeah. out <laughs> uh, yeah um so let's talk about the um I guess I guess the the we kind of we've set up the unhingedness so that the payoff on 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 how that pays off again these people aren't smart even in a day without the internet the fact that they were at they're they're both from the same hometown they they Ray had met a couple that knows you know who Charlie is um, and you know they did it with the the pamphlet. But I mean, yeah. there's several ways he could have tracked them down. Just like me as a viewer, I've been like, well, he could do this, he could do this, he could do this, let alone like a street savvy guy like Ray. Um, but uh, it does uh, inevitably come back to uh, they're back in uh, New York. And, uh, you know, Audrey is, uh, they had just gotten back off the road trip and doesn't even get a chance to breathe. And Ray is right through that glass window. Right what did you think there. about the violence of that scene and as far as how it was shot and everything? It was great. It was great. Um, I, as, okay, so the way I discovered this movie is, uh, it was like a late, late night HBO find. And I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it. I just turned it on and was watching it. And I was super pleasantly surprised. Like that movie was so awesome. And I haven't, I saw it on and off but you know back in the late 80s and i haven't really seen it all the way through since so i remembered that part with ray and charlie the ray and charlie struggle being a lot more gruesome mm -hmm. than than it actually was but uh i did like it i i did like it a lot i think it worked i didn't think it was too over the top it could have been a little bit more I think it could have worked, you know, I think maybe the 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 whole scene could have worked with a little bit more struggle because I don't know, to me it didn't seem like it lasts that long. Um it reminds but, me a lot of the uh what will happen in a few years in true romance between Tallahassee and uh what's his name Tony Soprano Alabama. Uh, Alabama and what's oh, Tony yeah, Soprano's dude, exactly character. Um in, in uh, what's his face? Uh, yeah. Uh rest uh, yeah. Um, God, Tony Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah. That scene where he's just beating her up. They take it to the next level. That one still gets me because I mean, he gets put some hard shots on her. Um, oh, yeah. But it it seems to take from this scene. I mean, even to the point yes. where there's a bathroom element in both of them. You know, where yeah. it's that that water. Yeah. yeah, and the blood and water always make it more uh, viscous and everywhere uh, on there. But they don't show. They don't show the 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 death blow, right? Uh, they just they just show the faces. Um, when uh, Charlie, you could say inadvertently, and I think I would have liked Charlie to have a little bit more say in the killing. Like he, you know, he's holding the knife. <laughs> like who holds a knife like that? <laughs> like he's holding a knife like at his waist. It's his big old butcher knife. Ray turns. 
you know, takes like three feet. He says, Ray, no. And he runs into the knife. And then you don't see the knife in Ray at all. You hear it. You see their faces. And the only time you see the blood is when Ray does his thing with his hair that we saw him doing earlier, where, you know, it's you see the blood on there and you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, you know what happened, but they don't show it. I think that's a really cool way to do that. Demi does as opposed to like, you know, a brutal like stabbing or, you know, that type of thing. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You, yeah, no. you, you see the go ahead, please. The uh, um, okay. So a guy like Ray, you know, he even talked about how he fought in prison a bunch. He literally walks into the knife. Yeah. Charlie doesn't do anything. He, yeah, Ray walks into it, which is kind of cheesy. But yeah, you don't see this the really because you see the faces and they're both kind of like aghast. And you don't see the severity of Ray's wound until, yeah, until he, he takes his hand and he, and he looks in the mirror and he wipes his palm on his forehead and his forehead just covered in blood. And then you're like, oh, that was bad. Um, so, yeah, th- that's why I kind of think it could have used a little bit more. I think he should have. I think Charlie should have been uh, the an, the agent of his death more. Uh, yeah. They're calling this Dark Passions for a reason. I think they really uh, undercut... And it's called the movie's called Something Wild. And Something Wild sounds like it could be a romantic comedy about this wild girl that kind of, uh, you know, gets a guy to come out of his shell and he gets her to be a little less wild. But it also could be about like that that unchained thing that's in all of us. That's something wild that is in Charlie. That's something wild that is in Audrey. That's something wild that is in Ray. And what that can lead to when you mix passion in that and i think showing that that passion that he has for audrey can 360 a guy like charlie in a couple of days i think that's a a a a stronger way to end that film but i understand in 1986 uh (laughs) why that was not the choice for this right and it's funny because i had you know it was violent to me at the time you know granted i was 11 (laughs) and uh uh i thought it was you know uh, it threw me for a loop at the time but i guess you know seeing true romance well because see in true romance christian slater's character does it in the first act he kills uh uh uh, drexel drexel in the first act so he he crosses that that something wild, you know. He he known her for two days, and he makes that, and then the scene carries off from there. Now it does change it a little bit because you already know now that Christian Slater's character will do anything for Alabama because he's yeah. he's already killed for her in the first act. In this one, it would be this is where this has all been leading to, you know. Um, yeah. And then and then it would make the ending why they weren't together until the last moment because she's like well now you're just ray now yeah. you 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 become so passionate and 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 violent about me and maybe even possessive that you've killed and that's what ray was willing to do so what makes you any different so i can see the choice in that that by having her if you if you if you have her kill if he kills ray intentionally it's hard to put Audrey back with Charlie at the end because then it deflates anything that it, it deflates Audrey's whole character arc. That That's she, interesting. she just goes back to to what she left, 
you know yeah it's just a little de- it's a little bit delayed in charlie but he it's is there yeah you know um so let me ask you this so your criticisms about jeff daniels um do you think uh so somebody that was up for this role of of charlie was kevin klein i love kevin klein I do too, man. I do too. I love Kevin Klein, especially <laughs> in this era too. Nineteen eighty-six. Yeah. That's coming like off. That's like Big Chill, Kevin Klein, right? Uh, Big Chill, Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I think he would have been great. I think he would have been great too. Although I will say that Kevin Klein, maybe it's because of the roles I've I've seen him in, like Fish Called Wanda and stuff like that. Um, he about his look about him and his. His style, uh, his acting style, suggests that he, it's not a, as big of a leap for that guy to to make that. Do what he did. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. what's that movie where he plays the gay teacher and he's outed? Uh, in and out. Dave, Dave. Oh, in and out. In, okay, yeah. Uh, in and out. Dave was when he was the president. Yeah, yeah. Just like the president. Like, in and out, like, that's kind of, you know, he's a little bit more, like, dopey kind of guy but even then you know god gosh i'm kind of now i kind of watch kevin klein movies <laughs> <laughs> I said that exactly yeah, when yeah, i read that i'm like no yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah i could see it i, I but I, like i said this is i mean i have to look back at his his catalog here let me click on to it but this might be my favorite jeff daniels role now it could be just because it's the last one i think i've seen him in Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. Uh, I haven't seen that in, since I was a kid. That's that, that's that's my jaws. <laughs> the, squid, the, the squid and the whale. He's good in that. He always plays, you know. But like, he's kind of been pigeonholed into stuff. He played Steve Jobs. Uh, God, he's been in so many things. I guess I haven't seen as much of his stuff that I as I thought. Speed. <laughs> Who was he in? He was hairy in speed. Was that uh, like, was he a cop? Was he like Keanu must Reeves have been friend or something like that? He was in <laughs> Gettysburg. I forgot he was in Gettysburg. He played uh, mm-hmm. Chamberlain, Arachnophobia. Around this time, after this movie, it was Radio Days next. Um, mm-hmm. So that uh, before this, though, he had you know Terms of Endearment and Purple Rose of Cairo. So two widely acclaimed uh, movies. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, you know, uh, tremendous actor, but I, I don't find his roles or maybe what he's allowed to do in his roles particularly interesting, but maybe that's what makes him great is that he's, it's, he's not making these wild character choices. He's just servicing the script, which is, oh, yeah. which is a... A noble thing for an actor to do, which sometimes doesn't see see them to the great heights of acting acclaim, but um, can help tell a story. You know. Oh yeah, I mean that that's what you just said perfectly describes his character in, in terms of endearment. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see terms of endearment? Mm-hmm. Deborah Winger. He was Deborah Winger's husband, right? He was the only one, like one of the only people not nominated for an Oscar for that movie. Yeah, I mean he he like you said he he serviced the role perfectly well and that's you know sometimes i think maybe kevin klein would have been would have had too much charisma 
Because that dude just can't help but be charismatic. Yeah, you know, I think that's the thing. He's charming like- is, is stuff, and like you would think, well, I mean, the guy can't be more charming than Melanie Griffith. And right. Melanie Griffith, <laughs> I mean, she's okay in this role, but there are other women I think who could have done this role. I I think Melanie Griffith as an actress in this role is more interchangeable with other actresses of the time than Kevin, than Jeff Daniels is for other male actors of the time. So my wife said that about Melly Griffith too. She's like, why did that doesn't seem like a obvious casting choice. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess uh-huh. they'd be coming off working girl. I mean, but there's not no. I mean, still we're getting better, but there wasn't in 1986. There wasn't a lot of good roles for women, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, Especially something like this. Yeah. But anyway, so that that's our 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 take on something wild, something wild. So we're gonna move to something a little bit more sinister now, as we talk about dark passions. Maybe now we're getting into the the dark part of the passions part. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna talk about uh, you know I, uh, Nick Cave and the Seeds, uh, uh, Bad Seeds album, um, murder ballads. Now. I was tempted because I, I I know I've listened to I used to I have what's the love songs is it love songs so what's the album with love in it with red right hand on it you know it's him and the flames I think that's the only one that I, the only Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds that I owned on disc or any kind of uh, medium and then I've uh, uh, because their songs appear so much on films uh, and uh-huh. soundtracks that. I'll be listening to a movie and I'll be like, I love that song. And for years, every time I'm like, oh, that's the cave in the bad seeds. I'm like, oh, that's the cave in the bad seeds. I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, every time I watch a movie and their song comes on, I look it up and it's the cave in the bad seeds. I eventually just started, you know, I'm like, this is their sound, obviously. Um, and so I was going to look up more stuff about the band. I've seen them in interviews with other people they've performed with. But then I was like, no, I think Jay knows something about the Bad Seeds. I'm like, I'll just let Jay tell me about it. So talk to me about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. What you know? What do you know, Jay? Well, so Cave uh, is Australian, Australian-born. And he was in a band called Boys Next Door, which were a pretty cool garagey punk band. And they moved to... First of all, I, we need to state that uh, Nick Cave, also a tall drink of water like yourself. He's got to be like 6'2", 6'3". That guy's <laughs> I don't tall. have that awesome mane. <laughs> that awesome ebony mane of, of Nick Cave. But so, yeah, so they, they moved to England. Um, then they, they disband more or less and become a band called The Birthday Party. And Birthday Party is um, early early gothic noise uh kind of avant stuff i'm not a big fan of that band and so then they move again to germany and that's when he forms the bad seeds and this was all early 70s um late 70s i'm sorry late 70s early 80s and forms this band with called the Bad Seeds, and he becomes this kind of like a dark crooner, um, where a lot of his his music is obsessed with with uh, kill the death and religion and love, and it's very sinister. In fact, you know, other than Boys Next Door stuff, um, 
his movies have always been pretty pretty sinister. Um, and he's not the nicest dude in the world. And you know, you can kind of tell he's he's a little bit arrogant, but he just he looks you know you know he young, he looks you know who he brilliant. looks like and also the way you're describing his attitude from King of Kong uh or um the have you that documentary uh the King of Kong about the Donk Kong game. Oh no, I don't oh, know. Oh my god, yeah. So there's a guy in it. It's a documentary <laughs> about like these guys playing Donkey Kong, and there's one who looks just like Nick Cave and has this arrogant attitude because he has a top score in all these video games. Uh okay. We might have to do that that document. Anyway, side note. Okay. okay. All right. So he's an asshole and uh yeah, also and, uh and if you haven't seen it, go see Ladies of the Palace Arcade, also another fantastic arcade piece. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, um but yeah, so okay. So he's, I, I get that sense from him. I've seen him because he performs a lot of duets with people. Uh, uh-huh. I watched a, a great video where it's, um, uh, um, God, I've been so obsessed with it. Um, Sean um, from the Pogues. Uh, Shane O'Gowan. Uh, Shane O'Gowan. Um, uh, they have a duet where they're singing this song, and Shane is obviously drunk out of his mind, and Nick, <laughs> uh, Nick Cave is obviously high as shit, uh, and they're singing like this this duet together, and it's so bad. And you know, here we have in this album, he has that Kylie Minogue uh, uh, duet in there that that he has a kind of no one and he he he, uh has one with uh, pj harvey so you you see him like he he's 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 collaborated with a lot of other artists um so people in order for them to put up with his bad attitude they he must really be a genius when it comes to atmosphere within a song yeah um I mean, not just that, but lyrically, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, well, gosh, there's a song on there, um, O'Malley's Bar, mm-hmm. which is 14 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is about a guy going into his neighborhood bar where he knows everybody and he is he kills them all. And in the song, Nick Cave describes how he kills yep. them all. He calls them by name. Yep. Yep. And he he, he smokes every single one of those yep. guys. Decapitates her head into a pile of dirty dishes. Uh, I mean, you. I mean, you looking. You can look at the lyrics to the song, and you're like, "Wow, that is more ways to kill a person." very vividly in one song than I have probably ever thought about murder in my entire <laughs> life. And you did it in 14 minutes. Uh, more probably than Tarantino has ever thought about doing in, in a movie, you know? The the guy can write. The mm-hmm. guy can write exceptionally well. Yeah. Um. So tell, tell me how about what your experience with this record is have uh, you ever heard it you've never heard it before right no so uh the only so let me pull up the record here so uh the record that i own which has red right hand on it um although 
looking at this record, this does seem to be one of his uh, uh, most critically acclaimed records, Murder Ballads. Um, um, so I I didn't have much experience with this. I had there were two songs I had heard before uh, the uh, Wild Rose song and uh-huh. Staggerly are two uh-huh. songs that I'm like, oh, I've heard these two before. The other ones I might have heard but couldn't remember. Uh, I have dipped in my my toes into Nick Cave and the Seeds because they're a band that I'm like, this is a band that I know I will like once I get in, very much like I did with Bowie this past year or you know decades ago with uh, Tom Waits. I'm like, I know there's good stuff in here. And oh, I, yeah. know, I know that I might like the B-sides more than I like the singles. Um, but you gotta be you gotta be in an okay place to listen to a whole Nick Cave album the way all the way through, man. Like you can't like you gotta make sure that you know like your affairs are in order. <laughs> you have to make sure <laughs> that you did some exercise earlier that day so you have some positive endorphins going. Uh, because this thing will amplify some some dark thoughts and just some melancholy me- melancholia. Uh, if you aren't careful, um, there's also some some real jazzy riffs in this album too. The bass the bass lines on some of these things are really jazzy. I got the album up here. Yeah, it's um, it's dare I say even to a, a sane person a little bit disturbing. Yeah, you know, there's some things, some parts of these songs where you're like. Oh no! Did, did that just happen? <laughs> would you would you consider this a concept album of sorts? Um, because every song yeah. is about like murder, but then you listen to some like, but a lot of other Nick Cave songs in the Bad Seeds are about murder too, or have some violent element into it. But this seems to be just a uncontrolled, su- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you each one of these songs is is about the act of murder told from all different perspectives from from the first person point of view, third person point of view as the victim as the murderer as you know it, it it's it, it's as an onlooker it's it just it's so brilliant in that way. Um even you know, and it almost seems like it also um there's something really timeless about the way he writes. You know, you can look at some of these and you're like, well, you know, it, it's hard to imagine they came out in 1996. There, there's there is a Celtic Irish vibe uh in the story because there's, there's storytelling. It's 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 yeah, the, the, the way so. he tells the story is it's very much in not the same way that other like Dylan tells a story where it's like a loose story. Like this is the story of hurricane, you know, uh, where it's this, it's a little bit of that it's more Celtic Irish based. Uh, and I wonder if being in Australia, that kind of comes over there, you know, prisoners being, you know, that, that, that tradition of that kind of Celtic style, uh, bar room storytelling where you can have a song for eight minutes and each verse is a different part of a story uh, that that goes on, and that each of these 
songs has a character stagger lee henry lee uh crow jane uh the characters who populate uh uh o mallory's bar uh which one uh the uh, the curse of millhaven is just, just about this you know town where the you know this guy's like killing people and like that there's everyone's kind of ratting each other out and knows these things are happening but no one's stopping it uh type of thing um so to me that that very much seems like why here um where the wild roses grow i think of wild irish rover that traditional celtic uh irish ballad uh and it's called uh-huh. murder ballads and that's what the irish did better than anyone are are their ballads um and so i yeah you're right there is that there that timeless traditional it's very much tied to tradition even the way he phrases his his singing uh, which yeah. is is more narrative uh, than it is actually song, melody. It's, yeah. it's more narrative-based. Uh, when it comes to the Dark Passions, what I want to ask you about is, um, it made me think about, you know who Francis uh, Truffaut is? Truffaut, uh, the uh, uh, film New Wave, French New Wave director who broke in French New Wave with 400 Blows. Um, uh-huh. no. So yeah, he's this director who basically started French New Wave cinema with his movie 400 Blows. But before that, he was a critic. And he was a very brash critic. So much so that he made his own movie and started his whole movement. <laughs> uh, which is very hard for critics to do, is to go from being a critic to being a, uh, a director. Um, but he he admired few directors, but he admired Alfred Hit, Alfred Hitchcock. And they have him live. I believe it's... it's uh, pull quote from an interview like you can hear him say this and i'll butcher it but he loves hitchcock and he was talking about hitchcock and he said that you know even though he says americans don't get hitchcock he says you love hitchcock because he films uh uh love scenes like um uh like like murder he films love scenes like murder he goes that's why americans love hitchcock the french we love Hitchcock because he films because he films murder like love scenes. Huh. So he goes, you, you guys misunderstand Hitchcock. You like him for the wrong reasons. You like him because <laughs> he makes sex violent. We like him because he makes murder like love. Uh, huh. And I was like, and that's kind of, that for some reason that that his quote, which I'm probably butchering, but I think it's pretty much that um, reminded me of some of the the things that Nick Cave does on this because if you're not if you're not listening to the lyrics of this it can be mistaken for a deep intimate lo- song about longing yeah and passion it could be you this could if you're just if it's just on the background where you can't make out the lyrics like what song is that oh it sounds like a love song it sounds like a like a like a dark love song like, no that's actually about killing a whole town full of people um, I think, uh, honestly, you know, and I hate to be like the guy that, um, you know, tried to belittle people and say, oh, well, you, they didn't get it. But so th- that song, Where the Wild Roses Grow, uh, with Kylie Minogue, um, that was at the time by far their most the successful hit single. Song. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the, the song was on MTV. It was on MTV in, in, in you know, it, the song was a hit everywhere in Germany, England, 
pretty much worldwide and in well, Western countries. And, and I think there had to be a lot of people out there that said, Oh, what a sweet love song, <laughs> you know, but you know, even if you, if you watch the video and stuff, it's pretty clear that there's some sinister, you know, tones to it. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that that song was misunderstood quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, same with like uh fairy tale in New York. We were talking about, uh, during the Bill Murray episode of where our Christmas list with the Pogues, where it's like, Oh no, 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 it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not like, you know, this fancy song. And I wonder if that's probably why these two got along. So, or at least collaborated uh, Shane McGowan and, and Nick Cave. Um, I mean, my, my, I, I love Stagger Lee, uh, cause it's, it, to me, it has, you know, I, I love, uh, I love American Westerns. I love Americana uh-huh. Westerns, even though I wouldn't say it's an Americana song. It, it has a lot of Americana uh-huh. imagery in it. And yeah. even the name like Stagger Lee, um, uh, and, you know, walking to this bar, I wrote down the, the, uh, uh, lyrics on here. God, there's, uh, Stagger Lee lyrics. Um, where did I put it? Oh, um. I'll crawl over 50 good pussies just to get to one fat boy's asshole. <laughs> I know. And at the end of that song, I guess there's actually, he fires actual gunshots. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's at least that's the, the, the myth I, that, that I heard, like actual gunshots on there. Uh, but I'll crawl over 50 good pussies just to get to one fat boy's asshole. <laughs> I'm like, this album is dark, man. And, you know, it is 1996. So, I mean... You know, when's Eminem's album? That I mean, there were certainly Eminem did not bring violence, extreme violence to media and to um, music. Uh, but as far as like radio played music and and celebrated albums, you know the you know um, that was probably around ninety eight. Oh, NWA. Nine, NWA nine, yeah. Was- yeah, but they weren't. They were using violence oftentimes as a form of protest or to 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 put a picture on there. This is like indulging in violent, passionate uh-huh. fantasies, um, which Eminem does. Right? He indulges like with like Stan. He's indulging in like you know someone else's uh, violent, passionate fantasies. But wow, it is it is ballsy to write what he's a third person narrator. In some of these, in a lot of these songs, uh-huh. uh, but because it's so auteur based, Nick Cave and the Seeds, uh, the none of these songs is the narrator likable. Um, to villainize yourself in this taboo, the taboo of taboo ways, on yeah. uh, uh, psychotic murder and and rape fantasies. Um, uh, and even like with the line I said there, like homosexual undertones, uh, in a time when that was not accepted as well, um, is crazy for an artist to do that. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a deep dive. I mean, even, you know, when he writes as, as like the, cause there's some female killers in here too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the song Henry Lee, well, he has PJ Harvey singing the, the female part of it, but um, you know she is uh, a, a character that um, 
killed her boyfriend because he wouldn't leave his other girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even uh, we talked about her, Crow Jane. I mean, that's got to be, I mean, that one uh, about a, a lady who lived in a shack, you know, and she was raped by miners. Goes to the store, gets a whole bunch of guns, and goes and shoots them all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some range, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if you can get past the the darkness and the the macabre, and and I guess maybe, for lack of a better word, that the shock value, the shock of of some of these, they're they when it comes down to it, they're they're just very well told. Uh, of folk songs, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and and it's they're entertaining. It's they're like I said before, they're really well written. He's dude. I mean, Nick Cave probably one of the best, you know, rock and roll lyricists around yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so overall, what what did you think of this record? I liked it. Uh, I I think it's I think it's an album. Like guys, I said I only got to listen to it once this week, and usually I like to listen to it a couple of times. But you know, when you have a one song that's like fourteen minutes long, you know, <laughs> um, it is. Like I said, I the the Nick Cave in general, including like the the Birthday Boys or not Birthday Boys uh, Birthday Party Birthday Party, um, is an artist that. I know I got to take a deep dive into because there's so much there that, that I like. It's, it's, you know, it's the, the darkest sides of Burkowski. It's, it's, uh, it, it it's folk. It, it's, it's Irish traditional, but all the things he's pulling from all the places I love. Um, uh-huh. and nothing has grabbed me yet where I'm like that this album is the one. I don't know if this album is the one that's going to drag me into it, but it certainly makes me more curious about giving another album a full listen to. Uh-huh. Uh a full listen to and 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 finding it it, it finding that out. Um, I'll tell you I ha- I haven't heard too many other Nick Cave albums. I heard a few and this is one of the ones that I I can pretty much go through the whole record without yeah. being like, uh, someone's kind of grating on me. <laughs> um, but to tie up the, the, the two here, when you look at something wild takes an, uh, 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 they're all kind of, they're both kind of this exploration of dark passions, uh, just a different approach into them. Whereas something wild almost fools you. It, 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 just the just kind of the way like the 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 main female protagonist kind of fools the the protagonists kind of fool each other the movie itself kind of fools us into thinking it's something it's not and we so we go along with it and then it turns us and it takes us to a place that maybe i i you know what i got want to do is i want to see a trailer to something wild i want to see how they marketed it i wonder if they marketed the tone change at all no Okay. They did. Yeah. They marked so, it like a like a rom com. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, you know, you know, when you the 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 date movie or the or you know, the movie that maybe your parents take you to go to, and all of a sudden you're whoop. Now we're in this kind of dark world where we see where uh, passion can can lead us to sometimes, and that yeah, we were celebrating this transformation because we feel like it's freed these characters, but they've also, you know 
they've stolen from innocent people. They've they've um, uh, lied. Uh, they've murdered um, uh, in here. Um, and we stop it at a point before it gets too severe. And Nick Ca- Cave, uh, I was going to say Nick Cage. Nick Cage, also, <laughs> also very dark and passionate. Uh, what about Nick Cage and something wild? <laughs> that, that would be... Green light. Yeah, that would be... Uh, uh, that would be, you know what? He might not have done bad in that movie. No, uh, not at that point. But we not always think then. of him as a scumbag. Uh, but you my, the character from Raising Arizona. Yeah. In, in, yeah. Uh, and I'll take these glasses too. Do you have any shorts? <laughs> that's, that's my favorite scene. Is the the gas station attendant in that in that movie is the be- steals the whole show even more oh, than yeah, Ray yeah. Liotta. He's like, hey, Charlie, be cool. <laughs> he's taking cool. off his he's taking his shorts off. Hey, just be cool, man. <laughs> and he's like, Can I get these two? Yeah, man, Charlie, anything you want. <laughs> be cool, Charlie. Um Yeah, but and we have Nick Cave drops us into this world of dark passions without leading us there. It's like, hey, there's there's no massaging you into this world. We're dropping you in here from Needle drop, really. The first song, boom, we're in this world. Um, and so one is taking us uh, into the middle of the pool. The other is dropping us in the deep end uh, and showing us like how far that can go, uh, which film-wise would be much more of like a natural-born killers is a movie that does what Murder Ballads, the album, does. Uh, whereas something um, uh, wild kind of eases us into the the beginning of exploration of those thoughts so i feel like something wild ends and that gets you kind of like huh i wonder what what happened if this continues on and what the negative consequences of this are and that's where nick cave picks up it's like okay i don't need all that other stuff well i'm not gonna you know tell you who this character was before we're just gonna like now we're 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 deep into this um which is two different takes on uh, a theme I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well said. I mean, I, I mean, I was kind of thinking along those same lines where, you know, something wild, you know, you see something beautiful, like, like romance between Audrey and Charlie and it moves into something dark. And then with Nick cave, you get something dark, but it's, you know, with his lyrics and, 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 and his imagery, you get something beautiful out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, that has been something wild and murder ballads. It's weird saying those things together. Like something wild seems so light, and then murder ballads. Uh, again, uh, this is the Pop Bonsai podcast. You can go check us out at popbonsai.com. You can check us out on Spotify or iTunes. Um, we tend to post what we're going to be doing oftentimes on our website at popbonsai.com. You can also go to us at Pop Bonsai on Facebook. And Jay has set up an Instagram through so the Pop Bonsai. If you want to, if you're like, hey, I listen to this podcast, uh, I kind of like the way you guys talked about something. I wonder if you're ever going to do this movie or, or, or this album. Send it to us on Instagram or, or Facebook. Uh, you'll save us some time and picking. So yeah, that would be great. So uh, until the next pop wave, uh, over there across from me, standing at a solid six foot, if he's six foot tall, if he's a foot, 
Jay Castro, <laughs> and I'm over here, Travis, and we'll catch you next Pop Wave. <laughs>